0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 32. If you're just joining us today, we've been walking through some psalms, not all of them, in this series that I entitled Praying with God's People. The book of Psalms is a book, uh, a prayer book for God's people, has been for centuries, and so uh, we benefit, we learn, to, we grow in our faith, in our relationship with Jesus, as we learn to pray with the saints who have gone before us. This morning we come to Psalm 32, entitled my message, prayer of confession. I want to begin by sharing a story uh, from a few years ago. Every once in a while, I have heard a story of some other parent who does something absolutely brilliantly. This is going back probably more than 15, 16, maybe 17 years ago at this point. Another family from Sunrise at the time uh, they were living in our neighborhood, about five houses down. They had uh, they had two children, twins, who were a couple weeks older than our oldest. So we were learning to be parents at the same time they were. They were ahead of us because they had two kids, so they were uh, making greater progress, as this story will tell you. Uh, one particular morning, this uh, this young mom walked into her living room to discover. Uh, a whole mural drawn on the living room wall with markers to her horror. And see, for, for us, with only one child with the manual dexterity at the time, to do something like that, solving that crime would have been easy. But she had, she had two potential uh, people to, to figure out. Who was it? Was it her son? Was it her daughter? And so she confronted the first child that she saw, her daughter, and she said, hey, did you, what, why, who, who drew on the living room wall? And uh, her, her daughter assured her that it was not her, that it was her brother. Uh, something must have tipped off this young mom. And uh, with the wisdom of Solomon, she next asked her, what, did, what, what is this? What did you draw? And, and her daughter readily told her, explained the drawing, and, and uh, her guilt was exposed. Uh, not willingly, not through her own... Uh, confession, but through being young and not not understanding what was going on. This morning, as we continue this series, we come this morning to a psalm of confession. Uh, we want to, we we will be focusing on confession, acknowledging our sin to the Lord. As we all know, even as we will see in this psalm, confession is not always our first inclination. When we are wrong, when we have sinned, we, we tend to hide. We tend to be like that little girl blaming, pointing elsewhere. We don't want to admit that we've drawn pictures all over the living room wall. But here is what I hope we will see this morning as we unpack Psalm 32, that true confession of sin brings true joy and freedom. True confession of sin brings true joy and freedom into our lives. A couple things before I read this prayer to you. Uh, First is uh, that this is one of the penitential psalms. That's a title given to about six or seven psalms that deal very straightforwardly with sin. Acknowledging our sin. We've already looked at one in the third week of this series. We looked at Psalm 38 where David acknowledges that he is suffering as a result of his sin. Uh, we unpacked that one. Uh, remember, Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath was what David prayed in Psalm 38. Uh, penitential psalms go straightforwardly, deal straightforwardly with sin. We find that that is the case in Psalm 32 as well. Second, we know that this is a psalm of David, but we don't know, we're not explicitly told, the circumstances, the occasion of this psalm, what it was that precipitated this. Psalm 51, the most uh, well-known penitential psalm is a psalm of david after he committed the sin of adultery with bathsheba we're we're told that in the superscript of psalm 51 we read this when the prophet nathan came to him after david had committed adultery with bathsheba so we know psalm 51 david's pr- penitential prayer there that that happened when when he committed that sin some of you may not be familiar with that story david was king his army had gone out to war he stayed home and he wasn't sleeping one night. He went out on the palace roof, and he looked down, and he saw a woman bathing. He lusted after her. He had her brought to him. He had sex with her. She became pregnant. He tried to cover it up, ended up having her husband killed, and he just kind of ignored this until the prophet Nathan came to him and told him a story about a man who had lots of sheep and stole a lamb from his neighbor who had only one, and David is so angry, and And then Nathan says those famous words, you are this man. He exposes David's sin. And David is cut to the heart and he prays Psalm 51. We're familiar with that. Here we're not told of the particular situation, but some think, and I think it makes sense, to... to to think that this is perhaps dealing with the very same situation. That Psalm 51 was prayed with a sense of immediacy in the immediate aftermath of his sin being exposed. But Psalm 32 reflects a little bit more uh, reflection on his experience. Now we don't have to determine that in order to understand that, but it may be helpful for us to, to think in those terms. That David is reflecting on that very major event in his life. Uh, psalm 50:51 50, David commits to I will teach transgressors your ways and here this psalm is certainly a psalm that is aimed at teaching God's people to confess their sins to come readily and openly to God and so that connection would make sense but regardless It's not essential that we see that, but we need to understand that Psalm 32 is certainly dealing with a similar situation, if not the same one. Uh, Follow along as I read Psalm 32 this morning. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. I want to walk through this psalm and consider uh, three things. First, the reality of sin. Secondly, our responses to sin. And third, our release from sin. So first, the reality of sin. The word sin may not be used much in our culture, but uh, I think it was, as I was thinking about this, that I, I listened to a news story and, and the word sin was used. So perhaps it's being used more than, than I perceive, but regardless of whether uh, it was speaking of our, the sins of our past, but even if this word is not used a lot, even if it's not uh, a co- in common usage today, certainly the concept of sin is incredibly prevalent today. Just turn on the news. There are reports of violence and abuse and vandalism and looting, accusations of hate and racism, greed. I mean, just turn on the news and you will see all manner of things going on. And it's clear to all that there is something wrong in our world. Even if there is a massive lack of agreement on the, the, the cause, on what is wrong, Or more accurately, perhaps, to say, who is wrong? It's it's always the other side. It's always the other group. It's it's always the other person. The the problem is always elsewhere. The issue is with them. The problem is with them. There is so much in the way of accusation going on as we observe all these problems. So even if the term... The word sin is not used. Certainly the idea of sin is everywhere. It is ubiquitous. Now that said, uh, sin, the wrong, the evil that we see going around us, the accusations we hear, uh, deal with it not so much in personal terms, though. Certainly not looking at sin in my life. Well, Psalm 32 will be very personal. It it speaks to each of us as an individual. The problem is not simply systemic. The problem is not corporately other. It's them, their group, those who disagree with me, those who have a different political leaning than me. The problem is with me. We see that in Psalm 32. Let's take a look at how Psalm 32 speaks about sin. There are three Hebrew terms that are used in this psalm to speak of sin. Uh, Two of those are translated with the English word sin. We're going to look at uh, the nuances. The third one is is translated differently. First in verse 1, we encounter the English word, the translated word, transgressions. Uh, This word means a going away, a departing from. We need to think in relational terms. It's a a leaving, a breaking away. In in other words, it's pointing to our, our rebellion as God's creatures from him. Are going away, are departing, are are breaking away from God. Tim Keller calls it rebellious self assertion. St. Augustine, in his book Confessions, tells of a time before he was a believer at age 16 when he broke into an orchard and stole some pears. He, He acknowledges the fact that he wasn't hungry and he didn't even really like pears. So, why did he do it? He did it because it was forbidden. He did it because he'd been told not to go into the orchard. And Augustine recognizes that the core of his being is this impulse that says, nobody tells me what to do. We want absolute freedom. We want to be absolutely independent, to to determine our own way. But here's the reality we need to realize. You, You cannot have total freedom and be in a relationship. Every relationship, whether it's a marriage relationship, whether you're a parent, whether you're an employee, every relationship necessarily imposes limits. It imposes conditions. So you cannot have this absolute freedom. And so, because at the core of our being is this desire to, to have no one tell us what to do, we rebel, we pull away, we move away from God. We are rebelling, rebellious self-assertion. This is why David says in Psalm 51, you recall against you and you only have I sinned. It's not that David didn't sin against Bathsheba or against her husband Uriah or against the nation of Israel whom he led. It's that he realizes at the core his sin was actually an act of rebellion against God. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, You have not got to the bottom of the blackness of your sin until you see that it is a flat rebellion against God himself. Transgression is one word that is used here to speak of sin. The second word translated sins. The Hebrew word uh, it says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The word here has a sense of coming short, falling short, missing the mark, going off the path. And this gets at more uh, our relationship with God's law, that God's law instructs us in how we should go, and, and we fail to meet that. We fail to obey it. We wander. We... We go into the weeds. We lose our way. We do not obey his law. The third word we encounter, translated also with the English word sin in the NIV, but in other translations is translated sometimes with iniquity. Iniquity means corruption. Twisted. I don't know if any of you have experienced a corrupted file on your computer. Something doesn't work. It's not working the way it's supposed to. See... Our lives, we're guilty of iniquity. We're corrupted. We're we're twisted. We are not who we were supposed to be. I've said this to you before so many times. God didn't, God's laws, God's commands are not arbitrary. God didn't create people and then go, I have people, they need rules. God's law, God's commands are a reflection of who He is, and it is when we live in accordance with God's commands that we are who we are called to be, who we are created to be. We are to be women and men who reflect the character of God. We are to be His image bearers, to look like Him. And so when we violate His laws, we are actually being corrupted, we are being twisted, we are in fact becoming less human. Because we were created as human beings to be like God, to bear his image, to reflect his character. And so sin corrupts us. Think about about the sin of lying. Lying inevitably ruins relationships. We were created to have a relationship with God and to have relationships, to live in community, fellowship, in intimate friendships with one another. But when you lie, you begin to ruin that relationship because suddenly you are guarded in that relationship. You are manipulating and controlling because you don't want that person to know what's gone on. And so even if you don't get caught, your lies are destroying, they are corrupting, they are twisting your relationship, they are, they are twisting your experience of life and it is less than what God intended it to be. Sin corrupts, it twists. It might be helpful to think of these three concepts, these three terms in terms of transgression speaks to our relationship with God. We rebel against God. Sin speaks of our relationship to God's law. We violate it. We disobey it. And uh, iniquity speaks to our relationship with ourselves. We are twisted. We are corrupted. We are not who we are supposed to be. The Bible tells us that all have transgressed, all have sinned, all are guilty of iniquity. That sin is not a problem only for my political opponents. It's not only a problem for people I disagree with. It's not only a problem for people who bug me, of whom there might be lots. No, sin is a problem for me. It's a problem for you. The Bible contends that sin is a universal reality. There is no one righteous; that all have turned away. We need to bear in mind that reality as we walk through Psalm 32. Let's turn to the second thing I want to consider, and that is our responses to sin. If sin is this universal reality, something that is present in our own lives and in the lives of all those around us, it is prevalent in our world, it is everywhere, in what ways do we as human beings respond? And there are a number of ways... Uh, to us that, that become visible in this psalm. Most of them are wrong ways. We will see the right way as well. So let's look at uh, one of the wrong ways. Uh, and it's illustrated by David in David's own life. Verse 3 says, when I kept silent. W- when I kept silent. So David sinned, he transgressed, he, he committed iniquity, and then he remained silent. He, he, he tried to ignore it. He tried to be Quiet about it. Deny it. Cover it up. Pretend it wasn't there. You know, nothing to see here. Keep moving. David stubbornly remains silent about his sin, hoping it just won't be an issue. Hoping it'll go away. Hoping no one knows that it doesn't impact anything. But it didn't work. He tells us that God's hand was heavy upon him. He, he felt the weight of conviction. God wouldn't let him go. God brought conviction into his life. He he says that that his strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. What an appropriate weekend to encounter that. His strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Uh, This heat has been pretty bad. Well, I don't know, some people maybe like it. It's pretty hot. And some people fare less well with that. I, I read this and I think of my wife and my middle son. I remember when our kids were little. Calvin and Brennan would go outside, and they could play in the heat and the sun. Chrislene and Nathaniel would be pasted to our concrete floor downstairs trying to survive. That's the image that comes to my mind. And my poor wife, I don't know if you've looked at the forecast elsewhere. My wife's in Abbotsford. Tomorrow it's going to be 44. Oh my, my strength is sapped is in the heat of summer. I, she won't be very active tomorrow, I bet. I asked her if she was going to survive. She said, start planning the funeral. (laughs) David's stubbornness is common enough. Many of us ignore our sin. We deny our sin. We pretend it's not there. We cover it up. We are silent about it. Maybe we redefine what sin is or we find ways to do away with portions of God's Word. We're just not going to think about it. Certainly not going to admit it. And so we remain silent. There's another wrong way that we can respond. It might not be immediately obvious to you, but but look with me at verse 2. I'll I'll read verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's the key line here. We'll come back because verses 1 and 2 are terribly important. We'll look at the, the beatitude, the blessedness. But blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. We are to confess our sin, and we are to do so with integrity. That is, we are to do so without deceit. James Mays writes this because confession of sin is an act of a sinner, it can be sinful. In other words, we can confess our sin in a way that is deceitful, in a way that is not true. See, even if we don't recognize it, God won't be deceived, but we can be deceived by our own deceitfulness. Tim Keller identifies two ways in which we get confession wrong. He says this, you need to distinguish true confession from either self-pity or self-flagellation. Let's consider each of those. What, what does Tim Keller mean when he says uh, that instead of confession, it could be self-pity? It, it's when confession really isn't confession at all. It, it's, it's a failure to own your sin. It's, it's a blaming of others. Can you hear the voice of Adam? This woman that you put here with me, she gave me the fruit. H- how do we echo the, the voice of Adam. I would be a far more patient husband if my wife was just more on time. I would be a less angry father if my kids would just do what they were told to do. See, I'm confessing my sin. I'm impatient. I get angry. But not really. I'm blaming. I'm not owning. I'm feeling sorry for myself. The wrong things that I do, it's because of other people. Because of... Of ways people have hurt me in my life or wounded me. It's, it's, it's her fault or it's his fault. If, if there weren't so many jerk drivers out there, I would be a really gracious driver. It's their fault that I sometimes do wrong things on the road. We, we can deceive ourselves and think that we're confessing when really we are not. We're not owning our sin, we're blaming, we're feeling sorry for ourselves. We're making excuses. The, the other way that we go wrong is through self-flagellation. That is beating ourselves up. We sin and, and we are filled with sorrow and we weep and we... we, we, we oh, Lord, I'm such a, a jerk. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done this. But, but even that is not true Confession. What we're trying to do by beating ourselves up is, is to pay for our sins, to, to demonstrate to God that we are really, really sorry. And, and we, we feel miserable and we beat on ourselves and we talk down to ourselves. and That's actually a form of works righteousness. We think if we could just prove to God that, that we're really, 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 really sorry, somehow we will atone for our sins, that we will impress Him with how sorry we are. And so... When we self-flagellate, we, we are in fact not acknowledging His grace. These are wrong ways of responding. Ignoring or denying, being silent about our sin. Or in self-pity, blaming others and excusing our sin. Or, or in an attempt to atone for our own sin and impress God, beating ourselves up because of our sin. None of those are true confession. There is a right way to respond. There is a right way to confess, to confess without deceit. A couple key things we need to recognize. Look with me at verse 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. David says, then I acknowledged my sin. He owns it. And it's his sin relative to God. It's it's no one else determining. It's not someone else's standard. It's what does God say? And so that's maybe the first thing we need to recognize is that David acknowledges his sin to God, that it's against God. It's relative to what God has said. It's not about public opinion. It's what God says. He acknowledges his sin to God. I acknowledge my sin to you. There's this clear standard and that standard comes from God. And secondly, David takes full responsibility for his sin, my sin. He says, I didn't cover it up. Didn't cover up his iniquity. David humbles himself. No excuses. No blaming. He simply owns it. We read on, he says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I will confess my rebellion to you, God. I won't cover it. It's mine. It's my sin. He becomes vulnerable before God. He steps into the light. He steps into the light before God without his inner attorney saying a word. He says, God, I acknowledge my sin. I don't cover it. I confess my transgressions. I acknowledge. Lord, that I have rebelled. I acknowledge, Lord, that I have failed to obey your word. I acknowledge, Lord, that that I am twisted because of that. My life is corrupted by iniquity. He simply steps into the light honestly. And this is where we encounter the the truly marvelous part of this text. Uh, The third thing we're going to look at is the release from sin. I want you to look with me now at the Beatitudes in the beginning again, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. This idea of blessedness, I've talked about it before. Uh, some translations put it happy. It's this notion of joy. Uh, Karl Barthel, German theologian, speaks about uh, blessedness being, you know, you lucky bum. This is about, you're so fortunate. You, you are so, you're lucky bums when, when God doesn't hold your sin against you. You're blessed. You're, you're, this, is, this is amazing, he says. The first beatitude that we encounter in the Psalter, we encountered in Psalm one. We looked at that at the beginning of our series. Uh, blessed, there, it said it negative. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the, the way of the wicked, etc. But but the point is, blessed is the one who walks in God's way. Here, isn't it interesting that this, the second beatitude that we encounter in the Psalter, is blessed is the one who has not walked in God's ways. Okay. Blessed is the one who has not walked in God's ways, the one who has sinned and who has confessed and whom God has forgiven. That's amazing. Blessed is the one who has failed to walk in God's ways if you confess your sin and are forgiven for it. You're blessed. There are three terms I already said Speaking of sin, transgression, sin, and iniquity were the English words that I left you with. This idea of rebellion, uh, missing the target, that is, wandering from God's path and being twisted or corrupted. There are three things that we see in the psalm that God does in response to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. The, the word forgiven, the idea of this, it, I think burden. Think burden, the lifting off of a burden. Some of you have read, hopefully, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't, great read for you this summer. Read it. This story of Christian and his journey to the celestial city. And there's a point in the story where he is carrying this huge burden on his back. And and we read this. His burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from his back and began to tumble and so continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in and was seen no more. God forgives. He lifts off this burden. He takes away the burden, the weight, the guilt of our sin. Blessed is the one for whom God does this. One of my favorite hymns, I think I referenced it last week, is It Is Well With My Soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. Hear this, brothers and sisters. The the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. My sin, not in part, but in whole, God has forgiven. He has lifted off the burden. Our sin is gone, dealt with. Second, God covers our sin. God covers our sin. David says that he didn't cover his sin And then God responds by covering it. This reminds us of the Day of Atonement. You read the book of Leviticus. God gives His people all kinds of instructions. And one of the things that God institutes for them is the Day of Atonement. He'd given them the the tabernacle which was set up in the middle of the camp. God, present with His people in the, the middle of their camp. But once a year, they had to go through these various things, and one of the things they had to do was make a sacrifice, and the high priest would enter into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was was a a box uh, covered with gold in which the Ten Commandments, God's law, were, and there was on top of there the cover, which was called the mercy seat, and it had two cherubim on it, and that was understood to be the place of God's presence, that God dwelt between the cherubim. And below them were the law, was the law. And the high priest would go in there with blood once a year and sprinkle it on the mercy seat between the presence of the holy God and the law that the people had violated. And it was covered with blood to cover the people's sins so that they could dwell, so that God could dwell with them. A third way God deals with sin here it's described negatively it's what God does not do blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them that is God doesn't impute he doesn't he doesn't count your sin against you here's what we need to understand when we come to God through what Christ did on the cross God does not count your sin against you that is God takes your ledger and he writes down in your ledger The perfect obedience of Jesus. The holiness of Jesus. That's what is imputed to you. He does not count against you your sin. And your sin and my sin, He imputes. He counts it against Christ. And so Christ goes to the cross. And on the cross, Christ bears your sin. He bears my sin. It is imputed to Him. It's not imputed to us. It's imputed to Christ. And Christ suffers for our sin. Christ bears our sin on the cross so that God does not count your sin against you. Hear that. God does not count your sin against you. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. These are the things that that God does, but there is more that David says. David says that when he kept silent, when he covered his sin, he sensed God's heavy hand upon him. I've said this before. I don't believe there's anyone more miserable than a Christian living with unrepentant, in an unrepentant way with unconfessed sin. God's hand will be heavy upon us. If we are not walking in submission to Christ, God's hand will be heavy upon us. But when David finally says, Uncle, when he finally stops covering his sin, when he stops stubbornly remaining silent about sin, he confesses it. He owns it. And we read, God forgave it. God covered it. There's this eagerness in God to forgive. God doesn't dawdle. God doesn't go, well, I'm going to make you sweat for a bit. No, David confesses God forgives. He forgives forgives immediately. He forgives fully. Confession See, confession says something about us, to be sure. When we confess our sin, we are acknowledging our rebellion. We are acknowledging our our disobedience. We acknowledge our twistedness, our corruption. We are acknowledging all those things about us which are hard to acknowledge. But confession means we're not only saying those things about us, we are also, our confession also says something about God, that He is gracious, that He is merciful, that He is quick to forgive When we come to God and confess our sin, when we don't cover it up, God forgives us. God covers our sin. What does that mean? To think of God covering our sin? I, I want us to think about this. When we come to God honestly, openly, vulnerably, exposed, uncovered, when we come and say, God, this is me. This is the this is reality of who I am, of what I've done we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. Christ went to the cross. Christ was crucified, and crucifixion was a horrific way to die, but among other things, it involves stripping the victim down. Jesus died naked. He, He became uncovered, exposed, vulnerable, so that our sin might be covered. He became uncovered so that your sin and mine might be covered. And so that gives us great confidence to run to Jesus and say, here, I'm not covering it up. I'll let you take that for me. James Boyce writes this, there is no greater blessedness than to know that our sin has been forgiven and covered over by the blood of Christ and is no longer counted against us. Sin isn't just something out there. We need cover. And Jesus went to the cross to provide that, that our sin would be washed away, that we would receive cover. If you're here this morning whether you're here on site or whether you're with us online, and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to point out one other line in this prayer to you. In verse 6, David says, Therefore all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. The God revealed in Scripture. Perhaps you don't know much about Christianity. I want to say to you, the God revealed in Scripture is a God full of mercy And grace, who longs for men and women who have failed to walk in His ways to come to Him, to to not be silent, to not try and cover up, to not make excuses, to not blame, to not try and pay for our own sins by our own misery. He invites us to come and to step into the light and to be vulnerable, to, to be uncovered, to not cover our sin, but to let Christ cover it. Christianity is not about us cleaning ourselves up. It is not about us being good enough. It's blessedness for those who have failed to live God's ways. It's through confession He makes us new. He gives us life. He covers our sin. Believers, we can learn from David. David. This psalm is aimed at teaching us as the people of God to pray true confession. That, that we would learn from David's experience, that we would learn from his testimony in this, that when he was silent, he felt God's hand upon him, but when he confessed, God forgave him. God covered his sin. What does this mean for us? It means that our lives as believers are, ought to be lives that are characterized by confession by vulnerability by honesty by openness that we we would not be silent about our sin, that we would not blame others for our sin, that we would not try and punish ourselves to atone for our sin, that that we would readily run to Jesus, that we would own our sin, and that we would approach His throne of grace with confidence, boldly trusting in Him, because our confession says something about Him, not just about us. Yes, it says that we are sinners in need of grace, but it says to the world watching us that the God we love and follow is a God full of grace and mercy quick, and eager to forgive us. And I want to note one other thing. Look at verse 9. Do not be like the horse or mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. How does that fit, right? Like, what's up? What's going on here? Well, remember, this psalm is a psalm to instruct us as God's people. Verse 8 speaks of us being instructed in God's ways. Remember Psalm 51, David's commitment that I I will teach transgressors your ways. So here's what's going on. God is full of grace and God is full of mercy. Through uh, true confession, we receive mercy and pardon. He covers our sin. But how do we grow in obedience? How do we grow as women and men who are conformed increasingly into those who would reflect God's holiness? How do we grow in obedience and submission to God's word? Well, Well, the point here is that a, a, a mule or a horse, it doesn't come to you because it loves you, right? It comes because you have a, a bit in its mouth, maybe a whip. A, a, and the psalm is saying, don't don't be like a horse or mule. That, that obedience to God, submission to God, it isn't a matter of, of, of this obligation. I guess I'll obey, I'll try. No, it's It's to be motivated. It is to be empowered by a growing love for God, a growing love for Christ, that that we would gaze upon the cross, that we would gaze upon Jesus who was completely stripped naked, who was uncovered for us in order to cover our sins, that we would be moved by His love that we'd be moved by his suffering and his sacrifice, that, we, that our hearts would be filled with joy and, and a growing love so that our obedience isn't something that comes because it's compelled from us, but it, it comes as a natural response of love to the one who loved us first. That's what's going on. God says, don't be like a horse. do you love object lessons? Don't be like a mule that needs to be dragged to where it's supposed to go. No, gaze upon the one who loves you and was uncovered for you, we we'll keep our eyes on him. Brothers and sisters, those who don't yet know the Lord, I hope that this psalm opens your eyes to see the goodness, the joy that is found through a life of honest, true confession. Derek Kidner says, to be in close accord with God, that is to be in intimate relationship with God, is true happiness. And and that true intimacy with God comes when we are truly real and honest and we come to Him openly, vulnerably, completely uncovered, so that He can cover us. Confession of our sins may seem like this really daunting thing, and there can be something scary about it, but confessing our sins is, is about believing the gospel. It's about believing that that the God who calls us to himself is a God of mercy and grace who is quick to forgive. Now, we can confess our sins to God. We're invited to confess our sins to God. We're also called in Scripture to confess our sins to one another. And so I just want to say this to any of you here. Maybe there is something going on in your life, some unconfessed sin, and you feel the weight of God's hand, you're, you're trying to cover it up, or you're making excuses, or you're, you're beating yourself up, I want to invite you to, to come talk to me. Speak to a, a Christian brother and just confess your sins and let me proclaim the gospel to you that Christ has covered your sin. Let's, let's practice this with one another. Let us be brothers and sisters who practice confession. Confession directly to God by all means. Let's come to Him honestly, but there is a richness and a goodness to confessing to one another. And for those who have never experienced that, those who don't practice that regularly, I urge you to consider that. Let me, let me be maybe the first person to help you move in that direction. There is such freedom and joy that has found such blessedness for those who know the goodness of God's forgiveness when we step out of hiding, when we step into the light, when we make ourselves completely vulnerable, when we are uncovered. Because then we will experience the gracious, loving, amazing covering of Jesus. Amen.